Hi everyone, welcome to the Parma Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show um, and hope you're all keeping safe and well and taking care of yourselves during this time because we're still recording in the midst of this pandemic and most a lot of us are at home and you know it's a difficult time for all of us so I hope you're all keeping safe uh, and today I'm delighted to welcome uh, a guest I've wanted to have on the show for quite a long time um, great guy author podcaster um, minister uh, as well um, advocate does a lot of different things um, the Reverend Rob Lee welcome to the show thank you so much for having me and uh, hello to your listeners yeah it's really great to have you on um, yeah I've been aware of your work for for a while now the advocacy that you do and the writing and you just started a podcast as well is that right 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 yeah I started a podcast it's called the loved journal and it's talking about my wife and I are trying to build community in, uh, in, in kind of precarious times. And this is certainly a precarious time mm. that we found ourselves in. And I was kind of bored for a day, and I said I'd start a podcast. And as you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to start a podcast. And so I, I found myself quite busy. So. That's right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because yeah, I remember when I started this podcast like five years ago. Yeah, and it took me it took me it took me a while to set up because I had a full time job as well. I didn't have that much time on my hands, so I, uh, yeah, it took a while. But it is it is really good fun, and you get you get used to it, and you start enjoying right, right. it. Like, yeah, I I love it. It's one of the it's the best thing I do this podcast for sure. Uh, yeah, great. Well, tell us just tell us a bit of your your own story. I think stories are so important. Like, our stories make up who we are. They're the fullness of our being. They're, they're all of us. Like, mm. when it comes down to it, all we have are our stories and how we tell them. And I guess my story starts, um, I guess, in multiple places, right? Like, our stories each have beginnings, and each of those stories that are divided up each have beginnings. And so yeah. um, I was raised in North Carolina here in the United States. Um, I am a descendant of Confederate General Lee, which is what a lot of people know me for. And uh, uh, after the Charlottesville riots, uh, I took a stand on the MTV stage and on uh, ABC's The View. Um, but I also have other stories, too. I'm really passionate about mental health care and how, we, we, how the church specifically talks about that story. Um, I suffer from bipolar disorder, uh, which I'm very open about and tweet about often. Yeah. So it's, it's something that I talk about. It's not breaking news, unfortunately. Uh, it's something that people know about me, and I'm very open about it. I'm a pastor, which I think is one of the most kind of, like, if we're, if we're peeling back the layers of my being, I think pastoral ministry is what I love most. I love being with people, so this time of pandemic is particularly hard. Um, to deal mm. with not being with people in, in, in the fullness of that capacity. But it has opened up other ways to kind of connect, which has been good. I love friends, uh, like being with friends and talking to friends. I love their stories. I love hearing stories. In fact, I'm doing PhD work on stories and how we tell stories. So I think Fantastic. if I had to boil it all down like to, to one thing, it has been that I am convinced that what we have here and now is important, 
and just as important as what people talk about later on. You know, I'm a pastor who is much more focused about people here and now um, who need help um, because a lot of people need a lot of help right now. Yeah, absolutely right. And that is really encouraging to hear because, I mean, so, I mean, I grew up in the church. I've been in, in the Christian church my whole life. And some pastors that I've, that I've had always are often talking about the past or the future, you know, and what's going to happen and or what has happened. And I think it's so important we are fully present in what is happening now. Um, right. I mean, like, I think, you know, Howard Thurman, who was an American preacher during, uh, who taught actually Martin Luther King, um, famously said, uh, don't be so heavenly minded that you do no earthly good. Like, I think about that. Like, I mean, you know, we've got people who are hurting here and now, and we simply just are talking about getting them into heaven. I actually have the audacity to believe that, that God, uh, God, wherever God is, wants us to care about people here and now and their being here and now, because that matters too, um, as much as, if not more than, where we end up for eternity. Absolutely. I absolutely believe that. Um, finding one of the things this whole pandemic situation has actually helped me with is finding God in the midst of the difficult times. Um, I've actually been found been closer to God at this this time than I have for quite a long time. I've always, and people who listen to the show will know this. I always, no, I never had a problem relating to Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. But having a relationship with God is always difficult because of my trauma. Uh, but right now, I've I seem to find myself drawing closer to God and seeing the divine in the midst of what is happening now. Uh, and that's that's helped me find a lot of peace. Well, I think, you know, we're kind of to the point where we have to sit with this, right, for a little while. Mm. As people have to sit with trauma or with other realities, illness, whatever. Um, we're having to sit with this on a global scale. We can't escape this. This is a reality that we're facing. And we're going to be facing it for a little while now. And so we have to find comfort where we can. And, uh, I'm finding comfort in friendships and knowing people uh, um, online like this. Um, but also through the beauty of, of reconnecting with things and, and places uh, that I can go to by myself and be alone with, whether that's the prayer book or um, whatever. You know, there's so much possibility of reconnecting with things that are ultimately what will ground us for the future. Absolutely, yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Um, there is a, there is an opportunity if we are able to just pause for long enough to notice it, and then we can step into it. Uh, and that's not easy. You know, obviously, it's not easy because a lot of us are carrying a lot of grief, and it's you know it's not easy being at home on on your own uh, or just with your family and not being able to go out at all. It's you know, it's it's a challenge for everybody. Um, it's just that being able to just pause for a moment, and yeah, then we can find that. Absolutely. Um, I think if we sit with that for a while, it just you know taking a deep breath and realizing you know we're we're in this right now. Um, hmm. We've got to do our best. We've got to be our best, and that's hard. Um, we're hmm. tired. I get it. We're all tired. 
But, um, yeah. you know, Jesus was tired, too, and so Jesus knows a little bit about what we're going through. Yeah, absolutely. I always, yeah, that's what I love about Jesus, that he, he's felt everything we, we, had, we have, we felt, and we feel. Uh, and that's not even a cliche, you know. I mean, he he went through a major physical and emotional trauma. He was betrayed. He he lost a parent. He was a social outcast. You know, he's um, you know he, he's been through all of this. He actually has experienced it, um, and in its fullness, you know. And so that that's a great comfort to me for sure, and I'm sure it's a comfort to other people too. I think that what connects us is Jesus is uniquely in solidarity with us. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the uniquenesses of the Christian faith and the Christian tradition is that Jesus stands in solidarity with humanity in ways that other faiths don't offer. And that's not to, to degrade other faiths or say they're bad or anything, but I think I like the fact that Jesus is in solidarity with us. Yeah, uh, yeah. That Jesus is solidarity to me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I feel, like I said before, I feel very close to Jesus, and I always have felt close to Jesus for that reason. Um, yeah. And you, and you, so, you, I mean, you talk about a lot about you do some mental health advocacy, and that you, you, you yourself have bipolar. One of the things that I talk about on this show quite a lot is mental health, and mental health in the church as well. Um, because I, I have anxiety, I'm, uh, I'm highly sensitive, and I think I may, may also be um, on the autistic spectrum as well, um, high-functioning. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's really um, important to me to talk about that kind of thing, and it's, that's one of the things I loved about when I first encountered your work, is the work that you do, and your openness about your own challenges. Um, I mean, how does... How does how does uh, your condition? I don't know if that's the right word. Um, impact your faith and impact the work that you do as well. I think um, bipolar disorder, uh, the anxiety and all that that comes along with it, uh, mm. really informs my work. Um, it helps me understand that you know it's hard to live life as is. Like just life in general is hard. Mm. Yeah. But then to add the the uh, the added bonus, I guess, of having bipolar disorder or some mental condition, a mental illness, uh, is certainly a, a great challenge. But I also started to see it as a gift. Uh, I wouldn't be as empathetic as I am without the reality of bipolar disorder. Mm. I wouldn't be able to connect with people, you know? Like, I, I feel, when you say you had anxiety, I, even though we're miles and miles away across uh, the ocean, I felt that. And I'm sure you, mm. to some extent, felt what I said, yeah, because absolutely. you're yeah. very empathetic as well, at least from what I've gathered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I did. People with mental health conditions are very empathetic, so. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I noticed that as well. I'm... I'm grateful that I am highly sensitive. Right. You know, and it right. is, that is a neurological condition. It is. Uh, 20% of people, I think, have it. There's 100 species of animals who have it. Um, 
and that makes me more empathetic. Right, right, and I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. No, like, I don't think I don't consider it a sin to care about people. Um, what I do, what I do struggle with, is the reality that people somehow mitigate my feelings or my reality to whatever you know the whatever whatever they need to, to make it to justify their own feelings you know like i'm getting help i'm very healthy i take care of myself there's just some days that it's really hard for me to get out of bed or to do anything for that matter and it's just like having a heart condition or a lung condition or some condition that of the body it is a condition of the body um mm. But you have to care for it, too. So there's there's that balancing act of, you know, it's not the fullness of who I am, but some days it can be, you know? Yeah. Um, some days it's overwhelming. But I think, you know, long-term, long, big picture, um, I see this as a, as a gift because it enables me to feel and to see and to hear things differently. That's beautiful, really. Um, to be able to see something like that as a gift is a, is a real... It's a really, really amazing thing. Um, well, and I, I don't yeah. think they, I don't think it starts out like that, right? Like I don't well, think no, you start out not. with anything as yeah, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Absolutely not. <laughs> and, and no, I still wouldn't wish no. this on my worst enemy either. Um, but I do think no. that I have to live with this, and until I find it as a gift, uh, I will actually it will it will degrade and, and take mm. away from me. Whereas I would much rather say to it, "You do not have the same power." over me that I have over here, which is a deeply gospel message, you know, it's a deeply um, Jesus message, because, you know, I, I, I kind of tell this story, and I want to be careful because I never want to compare mental illness to demonic possession, um, but there's the story in the gospels where Jesus asks a demon, what is his name? And the demon says, my name is Legion, right? And I, I, there's actually a lot to that story that we don't hear in the English because what Jesus is actually asking is for the name, because once Jesus gets the name of something or someone, in the ancient world, you had power over it. And I kind of think about that, too, you know, the same with my illness. As soon as I found out I had bipolar after years of wondering what was wrong with me and why I was feeling the way I did, it was like, you know what, I have power over this. I have this as a great uh, opportunity to learn about myself and to find a way to treat myself in a healthy way. So it gave me a sense of power to know what I'm dealing with. Um, now, there are days, I, again, I don't feel that way, but today it, it is, for me, a gift and a, and a reality in which I see that I have power over it and not it over me. Yeah, that's a really great perspective. It is. When, when you choose to name something, then you then you have start to have power over it. I've been talking with therapists um, on this podcast about uh, naming our grief, and owning our grief uh, that we're carrying and acknowledging it uh, and that's the first step to um, overcoming it and to not letting it control you and it's the same with any kind of trauma when you name it it, it takes away power from the trauma like, I mean even when you go to like a 12 step meeting the first thing you do is you you name what you what your condition you know uh, that's the first thing that you do so yeah, I've never seen I've never seen that passage talked about in that way. That's really interesting. That it's almost like Jesus is like saying right there, like name name what's what you're carrying. 
Name that pain, name the trauma, name the grief, name that mental illness, name it, and then you can take power over it. Change your perspective at least. Um, I don't think naming something automatically cures it, of course. And no, obviously that. not. No. <laughs> but we do know that naming it gives us the opportunity to at least have doctors and medical professionals and therapists who can treat us uh, for for those realities um, and for those uh, for those conditions that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the first step. It's not a cure, but it's it is it is a good first step, uh, and it is. Because that little tran- tran- transition of power from whatever it is, the grief, the pain, the condition, to you is significant. Um, because then you are taking action. And you can take action, which can then help you. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a, I will never look at that story again the same way again. <laughs> I have to go back and uh, look at, read, read that story because uh, it's always interesting when you when you start to un- unravel the uh, the context and the language behind some biblical stories and actually see just how powerful they can be. Well, I think that's what's interesting when you ask me to tell you my story. Tell me when you ask me to tell me your whatever uh, you do what I said. <laughs> um, I can yeah. And so anyway, um, when you ask me that, it's so interesting because I say I'm from North Carolina now. If you've never been to North Carolina, I can tell you the sky's green and uh, the grass is blue, and you may actually believe me. Um, but when you come here and you've experienced it for yourself, you have yeah. the context, and context is key to storytelling. Um, you don't walk into a, a church and uh, tell a story uh, that is predominantly atheistic. And that's not to, again, not to bash atheists, but just to say you don't tell that story in the context where you are. Mm. Um, that may not be what people respond to well and and you have to be yourself of course but you also have to know that there are stories um that are appropriate at places right like we're growing up we were always told this is not appropriate for here and i think that's true like there are places that we have to tell our stories and there are appropriate places to tell that i have bipolar disorder and then you know if i'm in walmart and i'm walking down the aisle and just yell like i have bipolar disorder that might not be the best place uh, mm. to tell the supermarket that i have bipolar disorder right like it's all about context and how we tell those stories absolutely yeah it really is that that's what helped me get to grips with the bible a lot more was when i started to look at context look at history look at language look at um, all the all the yeah the context that it was ri- that it was written and when it was written and why it was written um, and who wrote it and for what purpose it just changes everything about the Bible and it, it brings it to life I think when you do that yeah. I think the Bible is one of those stories uh, it's a group of stories anyway that is still being you know we still find it relevant like it still has purpose and and I think one of the things I most I most loved about doing seminary at Duke University. Um, was learning about the Hebrew Bible, um, the old what we call the Old Testament in the Christian tradition. Uh, you know, I thought that was just a relegated book, but I really found it come alive in stories about the prophets and um, you know the Egyptians and Moses. I mean, these stories, even though we've heard them time and time again, there's so much more layered meaning and reality to them that we just miss. And I think the same is true for people. And I think that's why all of us identify a little bit with Scripture. 
Um, you know, we, we are the people who fit into those stories. We're all a Ruth or a David or a, mm. a, a Peter or a Titus. We all fit into the stories of, in ways that we would never want to admit, but we find ourselves there anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can always, you can, that's why I love stories. A good story, you can find yourself in those stories. You know, it, it absolutely you can. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of um, comic book movies, and one of the reasons I love them is because you can find yourself in these characters' stories, and they can be in, they can be an example, an inspiration. You know, you can empathise with them. You know, when they're written well, um, and you know, as a child, that was what inspired me to want to be a better person, really. You know, Christopher Reeve's Superman was what wanted, wanted me to make me be a good person. It was like, I want to be like him. I want to be a kind, compassionate person who sees the best in people. You know, that was, and that's what great stories can do. Um, and the Bible is a great collection of stories. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I mean, okay, so tell me a bit about the, I mean, the, the advocacy that you do, the mental health advocacy that you do, and um, and also some of the challenges that you see, like, with mental health in the church right now. Well, I, I do talk a lot to churches and the communities about the realities of having mental illness. Um, I'm always careful to say that I'm not a prescriber, so I don't tell you medications, or I don't tell anyone medications that I'm on or why I'm on them or what that means for me because that's not my job, right? I think my job is to help people know that there are people like you or like me um, within context that are Christian. Um, You know, I think in Christianity, we at least Christianity in the United States, we're very apt to make sure that people think we're perfect. Um, When in reality, there's a lack of perfection or at least a perceived lack of perfection. Um, when someone has a mental condition, mental health condition. And so I want to say, you know, look, I'm a pastor. I pastor a congregation. Um, But that does not mean that mental health defines all of me. You know, Uh, it doesn't doesn't have the last word. Um, And I know that's not true for everybody, but I think it's important. It's, again, telling my story in such a way that it gives other people permission to tell their stories as well. Um, you know, mental health is so personal. It's, we want to keep it to ourselves, but we're actually invited, I think, by the vocation of our faith, by vocation of what God did in the world, not only through history, but especially on Easter, is to kind of come out of the tomb or whatever our tombs are and say, this is who I am, and I'm not afraid of that. And uh, there are nights I'm afraid of it. There are days I can't deal with it, but that doesn't mean it's the fullness of everything that I know about me or about God or about my friends and family who love me deeply. So it's all it's all simply reminding people of who they are and whose they are. Yeah, and I guess that's what it is at the end of the day. It's that we can come to Jesus as we are. Yeah, whether we have a mental illness or a condition or, or not and be loved and accepted and belong as we are right and I think one of the things that I think about is how you know I, I'm not going to be cured of bipolar simply by loving Jesus that's not going to be the cure exactly, there is no yeah. cure for bipolar disorder but yeah. there is a cure for for feeling like God has abandoned me and that's embracing others 
um, and embracing each other together. You know, that's the fullness of what God does. It teaches us to love ourselves and each other. Yeah. Yeah, he does. That's right. I mean, that's the essence of what Jesus says is, you know, love, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, love one another. He says right, that right. so often, you know, it's kind of, it's the root of everything. He, he even says it's the root of everything. He says everything comes under those two things, you know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's, right. everything else follows on from that. It's, uh, you know, that's absolutely key to the message of Jesus. It's what connects us all, I think. Um, it is how we find ourselves together and apart. And um, it's just, it's amazing to see. It's amazing to see the, the divergences and the convergences of our stories. Like, I, I see stuff in your story that you may see in mine and vice versa. And then we see divergences of those stories. Yeah. But what matters is that we're seeing these things together. Yeah. That's right. Community is so, so important. Um, Community is, is, is paramount. I mean, it is the top. It is, yeah. the, it is what matters. Yeah, I absolutely believe in the power of community. I think it's so important. When I talk about, when I talk about, I talk about mental health a lot on my timeline on Twitter, and one of the things I always say is find professionals, find community, you know, because you, because you can't do this on your own and you, you don't have to. Uh, you know, it's uh, we're not alone. You know, those who are struggling with mental illness, they're not alone, and they don't have to do it alone, um, and they shouldn't do it alone. Um, and yeah, you know, like you say, community is paramount. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that matters is that we we remind ourselves together um, that we've done this before. You know, and if you're alone, it's easy to get lost in your own thoughts. But if you have a community that surrounds you, it's a lot harder for that to happen. Hmm. Yeah. It's not possible, but it's a lot harder anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's community that is. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it is really, really important. So, I mean, especially right now, because most of us can't physically engage with people. Uh, and so we have to find community online. And... There's, there's people, there's places springing up. Um, churches are doing stuff, doing things online. People are on Zoom more than ever. Um, right, right, yeah. <laughs> because people... That's an inherently bad thing. That's no, no, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it can never be an exchange um, for real, like, passionate being community together in one place. I mean, like, I have friends yeah. online that I adore. Um, I have people in my life that are near to me. I think we need both. And I know this is a time where we have to only have one. But that doesn't mean that we won't go back. But at least we'll be changed. You know, we'll have more perspective on how to do some of this stuff and contact each other in a way that we hadn't before. Yeah, I absolutely absolutely agree with that. Yeah, and I wasn't saying going on Zoom a lot is a bad thing. It's not... Especially not right now because we need we need connection. But but you're right. Yeah, well, there will be a time when we can come into physical community again, and that will be. And I sense that somehow we'll be more grateful for that and more present in that than we would have been for not having well, it for such a long time. Um, well, that's my hope anyway. I tell this story all the time that. Um you know, there was a time in seminary where I was uh, actually in the hosp- in a psychiatric ward, 
and uh, because of storms we couldn't go outside um, so I spent six days without going outside in a hospital um, which I don't recommend unless you absolutely need it um, it was mm. an awful experience uh, in some regards but the second I walked out of that hospital um, to go you know be a part of society again to be a part of my family again to get back integrated after an experience like that I promised myself I would never take fresh air for granted um, because I hadn't had fresh air in six days. And that mm. takes a toll on you after a while, and you don't realize until you walk outside how much you needed it. And I think the same is true for us right now about community. We, we need to sense community in this moment now more than ever. Uh, we need to claim community now more than ever because in the end, um, when we get back to wherever we're going, um, mm. It will be important for us to um, not only reimagine society, but to imagine how society can be better. And one of those things is to not take this stuff for granted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can. This is definitely this whole experience has made me more grateful for those little things, for being able to go out to church on Sunday, for being able to go to the cinema. You know, for going going down for a drink and watching watching some sport at the pub. You know, just little things which don't feel like big things when you can do them all the time. But when you can't do them, you know, that you realise how precious these things are and how much these are a gift. Um, and um, I'm going to be making the most of those when I when I am able to. I think it would be a real sin for us not to make the most of what we've been given and what we have the opportunity mm. to take advantage of once we get back out of our tombs. Even if you think about this as like an Easter story and crucifixion story, mm. we're in a tomb right now. This is Holy Saturday and Easter's coming. So what are we going to do once we're out of the tomb? You know, how are we going to live into that? This is something I'm thinking about anyway. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, and... I was thinking about Jesus' scars uh, because when he comes out of the tomb he he could have come out of the tomb without any scars he could have just got a new body and just forgotten his scars and what happened in the past and moved on but Jesus comes out of the tomb with his scars fully present and intact and he doesn't just have that he, he shows them to people as well, he displays them and that well, was, scars, yeah, scars are not, I mean, scars are horrific, right? We, we don't want yeah. scars. They're not good. But they do tell a story. Yeah, um, that's exactly it, yeah. The, in Jesus' case, they tell the ultimate story of what we could throw at God um, in terms of crucifixion and death at the hands of the state. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think the message for me from that is when we come out of this tomb that we're in are we going to acknowledge the scars that we have or are we going to try and hide from them are we going to try and cover it up with certainty or with, with addiction or just with getting into a busy life um, are we going to try and hide from what has happened to us or are we going to acknowledge it and are we going to name it and are we going to face it uh, in community and with support professional support if necessary that you know that's the choice that we have when we come out of the tomb 
Uh, and I don't think any of us know how it's going to end. I don't think any of us could, should wager how it's going to end. Nope. But I do know that God, uh, in the fullness of who God is and what God does in the world, is already working to make sure that that end is good. Um, because even the worst ends become new beginnings. So. Oh, that's beautiful. Even the worst ends become new beginnings. Yeah. That's powerful. That's very powerful. Uh, and that's, that's not fun. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think that some people think God was a mitigated kind of force a long time ago. I don't think God's done. In fact, I think God's bringing things to completion, not in like a rapturous way where we lose everything, but I think God's actually here. Like, I have the idea of the audacity to believe that people deserve to tell their stories, and God's in that. God's there. God's God's showing up again, and I'm saying that as much for your listeners and for you as I am for me, because we all need to hear that and be assured that God will not give up on us. God can't give up on us. God's too invested in us because God became like us. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I've really had a sense, and I was talking to my spiritual director about this, of God present in this with us, um, and that having gone through my own kind of death resurrection story in the last few years where I finally named my grief and my trauma and faced it and went through a process of, of healing and transformation and you know therapy and spiritual direction and everything to, to to come to terms with that and coming out almost coming out of the coming out of the grave um, I see that process potentially happening for other people and I know how liberating it's been for me and transformative it's been for me and I can see that potentially happening for other people and that's kind of and I, and I draw a lot of hope from that that although this is really bad and none of us would have asked for it and none of us would have wanted it and it will be painful and it's tragic for people who've lost people and it's yeah it's it's just not and God would never have wanted this to happen but it can be used and it will not you know there's nothing it is not in vain it will not be in vain um yeah it's amazing right like this whole story I think we we started with it thinking it wasn't a big deal and then when it becomes a big deal we're looking for God but God was already back working on it I mean God is already working to redeem this and that's not to discount the death. I mean, the death is horrific. Yeah. It is terrible. It is agonizing. It is, it is almost surreal um, to see all this, to see the numbers ticking up on the screen as, as it goes by. But mm. I'm still confident that, that even in death, there's new life and new possibility uh, to find ways to be thankful for what we have, those who are left. Um, to find new ways to, to be grateful to each other and, and to God and to, you know, again, I, I want to stress God didn't do this. God doesn't do stuff like this. Mm. That's not in God's nature. God is good. God is love. And, and the things where I am seeing God is not in the pandemic itself, but in the response to it, where people are showing up and, and being present and being, you know, God for other people. Um, you know, and I had someone come into my office the other day that said, you know, I, uh, you know, as this pandemic was starting before we had the social isolation and they were saying, you know, I just don't think I, I don't know what to do. I don't 
I don't think I have faith. And I reminded them of what John Wesley um, famously talked about when he was talking to Peter Bowler. He, uh, he told Peter Bowler, he said, you know, I just don't know if I have faith. Right? Like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can preach the gospel. I don't know if I can even believe in the gospel, Wesley said. And Peter Bowler said, preach faith until you have it. And then because you have it, you will preach faith. Um, in a sense, wow. we've got to go back to our rudimentary, you know, rote memory kind of stuff. You know, what we remember from Sunday school, or this is we call it here, or whatever. You know, where we have to get back to the things that we were taught as, even as children, um, those things that are most innate to who we are. Um, and those things will ultimately help carry us through um, to what is next. Yeah. That's right. It's so simple, isn't it, really, at the end of the day? Um, I love that from John Wesley, yeah. I think, that there's, I, I think there's so much simplicity in it because we've made it really complex, right? Like, we talk about these church fathers and mothers who make it so complex, and that's fair. They have every right to. But at the end of the day, if it's not about love, it's not about God because God is love. That's kind of the, the, the motif that we have to follow. Yes. Yes. Absolutely right. When it boils all down to it, God is love. And if it's not about you're right, it's not, a, it's not about love. It's not about God. You know, God. Um, and sometimes that that kind of thing is all we have to hold on to is God is love. And that's what get us through. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the heart of things, isn't it? Really, God is love. You know, it's he who lives in love lives in God. You know, uh, that back to the beginning of John. Um, yeah. It's uh, and God, yeah, like you're saying, God did not do this. God did not do this, and um, He does not like people suffering, and He does not, yeah, He He is not happy about that. Um, but He will, yeah, that He will redeem it in some way, right. because right. because and we have that not, story already. We know how that story ends, even you know, um, and then that end was a new beginning, as I said. That's right. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Um, well, well, this has been really, really great. This has been such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed this and it's been such a blessing. Um, well, thank you so much for having me on. Gosh, this is wonderful. Yeah, it, yeah, it really is. Um, and, I'm, and I hope that you listening, this has been a gift to you as well and that, you know, that you feel maybe a bit more hopeful and... Bit more close to God, um, and yeah, more peaceful today, and that you're all healthy and keeping well. Um, because this, I have a friend of mine who tweets every day, um, this will not last forever, and yeah, there will be a new, there will be a new day, there will be a resurrection, there will be a new beginning after this, you know, um, and we are all loved at the end of the day so thank you Rob um, thank you so much for having me gosh um, and people can where can people find you online yeah uh, I'm on Twitter at Rob Lee Thor that's the place you can probably find me most uh, presently um, the number four at Rob Lee the number four and then www.robleefor.com we just got a new website, so I'm still learning the, the, the URL, but www.robleefor, 
www.thepodcast.com. And um, I'm happy to talk to anybody. I, I love talking to people. This has been a great, great pleasure for me. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It, it really has been a real pleasure. And, yeah, it's such a gift. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, take care of yourselves.